we are all in danger of assuming that the contemporary market is the art market. We have seen an extraordinary division between collectors of art and the art market. And I would say, that, and you're absolutely right, collecting in these, I'd like to say, original categories is something which does require knowledge. And, and the auction houses, they, they gather together all sorts of things. And the, the collector base looks at them as, uh, as a range of offerings. The idea that you can sell out a, an old master sale 100% is, is extraordinary. Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. Live Arts look behind the scenes at how the global art market really works. I'm your host, Marion Maniker. This podcast is brought to you by Live Art, the global art marketplace that puts you in control. Download the Live Art app to get all of the most relevant art market information, as well as access to exclusive private sales. Or visit us at liveart.io. Tefaf Maastricht, the mother of all art fairs encompassing 7,000 years of art history, normally runs for multiple weeks in March. This week, it reopens for a shortened run, noted as the centerpiece of the Old Master's calendar, and with Christie's having held Old Master's sales in New York just a week or two before, I thought it would be helpful to speak to William O'Reilly, who runs the New York office of Dickinson. Founded in 1993 by Simon Dickinson, the firm boasts that it privately and discreetly handles a uniquely broad range of quality artworks, from early Renaissance masters through to blue-chip contemporary artists. It is one of the very few firms that can truly say that. O'Reilly began his career studying Arabic in school. He worked for Christie's for 10 years, rising to be international head of Old Masters Drawing. Since 2018, he has worked at Dickinson, which is known for its gallery exhibitions and their curated art fair presentations at places like TAFAF. I hope you enjoy the conversation. William O'Reilly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Will, I wanted to speak to you about the Old Master sales that just took place in uh, New York in June, the upcoming TAFAF uh, Art Fair uh, in Maastricht, which launches in a few weeks, and get a better sense uh, from you how the Old Masters market connects to collectors who are not necessarily Old Masters aficionados. You at Dickinson are one of the few galleries that deals with everything from Old Masters to contemporary art and many artists in between. So you have a unique perspective on how this somewhat under appreciated category is viewed by collectors. So I thought we could start by talking a little bit about the results from the Alana collection and the sales at uh, Christie's, mostly to see what it tells us about the tastes of either old master collectors or uh, others. And I think that the fundamental message from, from the sales last week and, and from the feedback we're already getting on running up to Maastricht uh, next week is, is a sort of a relief that we're getting somewhere back to normal. I mean, for, for our old master's wing, Maastricht next week is going to be the first fair we've had since we all got COVID in Maastricht 2020. And the sales last week, the general sale had a, a sell-through rate in the 70s, which looks absurd next to a contemporary sale. But actually, if you go back over the years, is 
is a solid result. I mean, I remember when I started out at Christie's, what feels like a million years ago, in the days when we only just had email, that's it, it was a million years ago. I had a senior specialist telling me that if we sold above 80%, it's because our estimates were too low. Uh, and and the, the fact is that for a general sale from a, a very donor group of things, that's that's what you wanted. So uh, I think to a certain extent, it, it felt like business as usual. And, and, and that was a good thing. Uh, things which had been a, a bit too overexposed or a bit too expensive didn't sell. There were some surprises, which is good. Some, some of the more voguish things like the, the female artists did well. It felt pretty good, I think. Well, let's, let's go back to that um, sell-through rate issue. I think of the Chinese porcelain market as being a lot like the old master's market in that, you know, a 50, 60% sell-through was common for those auctions for many years, in part because the, the market was doing what it was meant to do, offering many things and letting the connoisseurship and knowledge of a, a variety of interested parties validate works by bidding on them. The art world has moved in a different direction as as the you know art is increasingly viewed as a luxury object. There has been a concerted effort to manage the market better, to not have things not sell so that people have greater you know faith or trust in these things that they're buying. Again, if they're not necessarily you know experts on the artist or the work. And so that does make these other sales where just by the nature of the level of knowledge involved makes it harder to, for everyone to be an expert. Well, I know I think that's that's very true. But I think we are all in danger of assuming that the contemporary market is the art market. We have seen an extraordinary division between collectors of art and the art market. And I would say that the art market is contemporary art and collectors of art is, to a greater or lesser extent, everything else. And you're absolutely right. Collecting in these other, or I'd like to say original categories, is something which does require knowledge. And, and the auction houses historically, looking back over the last 250 years, are wholesale. They, they gather together all sorts of things, and the, the collector base looks at them as, uh, as a range of offerings. The idea that you can sell out a, an old master sale 100% is, is extraordinary. I mean, it's interesting, but I, I don't want to push our own book too hard, but, but when Simon left Christie's uh, in the early 90s, he did it for exactly this reason. He felt that collectors needed help and advice on a more personal and, and dedicated level. And that's what he went out to do. And then when, when James Randall left a couple of years later, we did the same thing with, with the Impressionist Modern Market. Because collecting these categories does require time and thought and knowledge and research. And there are plenty of collectors who, who do that, but, but there are plenty of collectors also who appreciate some advice in a way that you simply can't advise people on a painting that was made last year. Thinking about the, the sales um, in March in London, there was Namwaka Boafa painted, I think, in 2019 that had been through four hands before it reappeared at auction. You can't advise someone on the right price or, or the quality of that picture. Whereas uh, a picture by Broichel, which has probably been around for uh, many hundreds of years through lots of different collections, you, you, can, you can build a picture. And I think it's interesting with, with old master collectors. I actually started out in old master drawings, which old master painting people think of as obscure. And the collectors we sold to were incredibly knowledgeable. Um, they'd spent 20, 30, 40 years in the field. And, and they were successful business people. They had you know, often done very well in other fields. Uh, and they appreciated being able to, 
to literally get stuck in, to, to learn about the field, to learn about the pictures or the drawings in that case, uh, and, and to really know about it. And they built collections. Uh, and so if something came up and they liked it, they'd buy it. If something came up, they didn't like it, they, they wouldn't buy it. Um, and I think that's the difference. Um, I mean, you asked the age-old question of what about the young collectors, which is a question that, that I have been asked and asked repeatedly over the years. Part of me thinks that actually that sort of collecting requires a certain amount of time. It, it's, it's something that you need to be a little bit further down the road before you can really appreciate or enjoy, because you have to, to build up your, your taste and your knowledge and your understanding. Well, you're not exactly an old soul, or maybe you're an old soul, but you're not an old guy. Uh, and there have to be whatever attracted you to the drawings market many years ago when you were uh, quite a bit younger uh, has to be appealing to others. And I've, I've... I'm, I'm not saying that it can't be appealing. It's enormously, and there, there are a lot of very young people in the market, but it requires time and dedication. Is that the appeal? Absolutely. That's, that's a huge amount of the appeal. You can really get stuck in. I remember that the old master views, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's the same today. It'll be the same at Maastricht next week. When someone comes to ask you a question about an old master painting, it's, it can be a, a grueling experience. If someone, someone comes to ask you about uh, Murakami looking at the picture behind you, th th there's a limit to how much you can talk about. Whereas someone comes to ask you about Simon de Flieger uh, and says, well, you know, how does this stand in relation to his other work or this um, Hoogstraten? How does this fit into the Rembrandt studio? Because you know full well, they probably know more about it than you. It's, it's a wonderful experience. It's a community. And actually doubling back, I think that was what's fun about the sales at Christie's last week, is it was a, a feeling that the community was, was coming back after two or three years locked away. Because although there were some great results, and, and we sold some very good pictures in the last two or three years, it's much more of a community. So it's about getting together, meeting people, talking about things, which we haven't really been able to do in the same way online as, as perhaps you can with the painting made last year. Well, there was also the element of showing off new discoveries. There were uh, two or three paintings um, on offer that you know uh, hadn't been known before. The uh, the tiny Fra Angelico. Uh, there was a. Um, Jus uh, van Cleve, I'm going to butcher these Dutch names, but the, you know, discoveries are sort of, of part of the the thing, and and uh, it gets to that whole sort of uh, scavenger hunt element of this. But but I I wanted to get to where are these people gaining the knowledge? Is it you go to art fairs and uh, auction previews and you just put the time in wherever you can in a gallery to see works and speak to the experts? Or are you boning up on, you know, some uh, classic texts? I mean, what, so say you're a, a collector who suddenly falls in love with chronics. Do you start reading all the books about elder and younger chronic? Do you go on a museum tour? You know, what's the path for a person who wants to you know, fall in love with this or get all, all those things. We are now surrounded by every possible resource. There has never been a better time to get interested in these things. Because I mean, as, as you and I are doing now, you can, you can have a conversation with, with a curator in Aachen or Berlin or, or wherever it might be, Dresden, to, to talk about these things, because these curators are, are passionate too. There's nothing that a passionate curator likes to do more than talk about his field particularly someone who wants to learn from them. A lot of, of the, the, the museum curators are, are exceptional educators, um, very knowledgeable, well-published, 
and auction house specialists and and dare I say dealers too. It's it's you know we all love getting together to talk about the, the things we're working with. And uh, there's there's a, a thousand different sorts of resources online. YouTube is is surprisingly not just Peppa Pig, but has a lot of, of, of videos of, of old masters as well. One of the breakout successes, actually, my wife loves it. Is is a, a there's a, a YouTube channel on a, a picture conservator up in Chicago. Have you seen those where he he does videos of his restoration work? It's it's mesmerizing. I mean, there has never been a better time to really get stuck into these things. I mean, you can get really deep. A lot of the archives are now scanned in online as well. That you can you can go back and see the the original records of a lot of the German museums, particularly, are good at it. So you can you can really do your own research. It's a wonderful time to get involved. My premise here is the these works have been valuable for so long, and they are now relatively massively undervalued to contemporary art. I wouldn't ever. say they're necessarily undervalued. I say contemporary art is massively overvalued. That makes sense. Different story. <laughs> but there's still a perception that these things are much cheaper. And, uh, you know, the, that idea that I can't believe I can own. Just, just this morning, Christie's have an online sale running at the moment, which I think closes the day after tomorrow. There's a pair of 15th century panels of St. Peter and St. Paul. The last I looked, the, the bid was $3,200. It's insane. Imagine the history of that object. Uh, I mean, it's it's not by a front rank artist, but it's probably by someone in in, in the shop of a perfectly decent art, artist. They would have been painted for a, an altarpiece, I imagine. The history behind those things is astonishing, and 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 people have never, funny enough, I, I think it's entirely true. People have never been more fascinated by history than they are now. You think about the history podcasts that you can listen to in, in this country, but um, in in the UK, history festivals are now popping up in every village in the country. People are gripped by this. And to be able to go and buy a 15th century altarpiece or altar panel is dreamy. And that's why I think these things are undervalued. And at some point, you know, people will go back to, to the value. But, but, but let's go back to the, the original question, which what, what's the pathway? I assume it's different for every collector. But I mean, is it just simply that? Is it you come out of another field? You've been buying things in, in sort of 19th or 18th century, well, 19th century art and move back to the 18th century? Or is, is there other ways that they do this? Or how do you say to yourself, oh, this is a client who might be interested in going back further with me? There always used to be things, a feeling in the auction house, you had old master collectors, you had impressionist collectors, you had 20th century collectors, or you had furniture collectors. I mean, the furniture collectors didn't have things on the walls. It's, it's, it's crazy. And there is now a realization amongst all of us that, that it's possible to, to, to collect a little bit of everything. And that's, that's not a problem. One, one question that often comes up is, is that people are less keen on things now. They, they want to buy their experiences. They want to live light and, and put their money into experiences, which is fine. It's always been like that. There is some people who like to gather things around them uh, and, and some people who, who don't. That's great. I think it's part of the reason why this move towards selling things in Silicon Valley can be a problem because that's just it's just not the culture. But there are plenty of people who really appreciate the joy that being surrounded by beautiful things can bring. And those people, I think, are better people, but I would always think that. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's a very fulfilling thing to be surrounded by a beautiful piece of Chippendale furniture, another field which is deeply undervalued. You can, you can buy a good Georgian table for almost the price of an Ikea table. But, it, I mean, you asked how, how does one get into it? How do we encourage people to, to, to take the step? I think it has to be natural. 
it's a rabbit hole that, that, that if you get your foot stuck in it and start to sink, you can be led in all sorts of fascinating ways. I, a great thing in this country is, is um, people of Northern European descent going back and finding their ancestors. You could discover that your ancestor came from Leiden, for example. And uh, so you started seeing, well, these, these are the kind of paintings they would have been surrounded by in, in Leiden in, in the 17th century. And that gets you in. And once you're there, the chances are you can get hooked. And then, then, then pictures of Leiden, views of Leiden, people from Leiden, uh, and, and it spreads out from there. Everyone, I think, has the, the capacity to have a, a different route in, which is, is very personal to them. People love dogs, people love horses. They're, they're, I mean, it's, it's, it can be quite basic. One area which is a little harder, obviously, is, is religious pictures. Uh, and, and people quite often throw that at the old master's market. So why, why do I want a, another picture of what essentially is rather gruesome Roman execution of a, of a traitor from the, the first century? I'm not sure I've got an answer to that question. Uh, a really brutal martyrdom is, is not necessarily an easy thing to live with. Some of them can be wonderful. Some of them can be... Can be, can be uh, and people love the grotesque. I mean, that, that sort of off-kilter idea is, is, is equally popular. I think one of the compelling aspects of the Old Masters Market is seeing the same theme depicted in so many different ways. You mentioned religious pictures, and I was just talking about Chronic, and it's always struck me the interesting thing about Chronic is that all these religious scenes are in contemporary dress rather than in, you know, Roman Judea. And that in itself is sort of fascinating and compelling. And then the the many different Bible stories that are depicted in so many different ways by so many different artists seems to be that almost scavenger hunt element of, of this and then being able to compare and work with and, and chart that. But it, but I guess it's the same sort of thing. There's there's It's not an easy framework for people to get led through. I mean, it really requires work on your own. You know, the, the buy with your ears doesn't quite work in the old master's market because the the call is remote. <laughs> I mean, I, at, at the back of my mind, I always have the, the, the slight question is, uh, uh, is there such a thing as an old master's market? Because it's so broad, it's so wonderful. Although there's, there's quite a lot, there isn't a vast amount of it. I mean, the old master's market wouldn't survive if, if suddenly tens of thousands of people around the world wanted, wanted to buy these things. They, they just don't exist. Cranach isn't sitting in, in Bushwick churning this stuff out. I mean, if you look at the, the, the Christie sale uh, on Friday, the mixed stoner sale, one collector was buying quite a lot of stuff. Uh, there's one telephone that was, that was very busy. You only need 50, 100 successful bidders. You, you would like lots. But the reason I say I, I'm not sure there's a market is because there are individuals and there are pictures. As you say, you don't buy with your ears. You have, uh, it, certainly in, in what we do at Dickinson, you have a wonderful painting and you have someone who, who, who loves it, who's going to buy it. Uh, and if, if the painting is sufficiently wonderful and the buyer is, is sufficiently enthusiastic, we could be a week from Armageddon and they'll still want to do it. The markets could be as disastrous as they have been in the last week. And if they've got the money, they'll still want to do it. It's an enthusiast market. They, they won't be swayed by some other absurd sort of quants-based report. That, that does bring up the issue of timing, matching the object with the enthusiast doesn't always fit on the schedule that the auctions are being held at. Because the auction houses aren't all there is in the, in the art market, which reading the press, you might be led to believe that that's very true. How do you match those when you have something? How do you find the right person who's that enthusiast for whom it's going to be an exciting discovery, even if it's been sitting with you for months or even years? It takes hard work. 
It takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of, when I jumped across from the auction world to, to, to dealing, I was surprised because I don't think inside the auction houses they really appreciate what to use, I suppose is a renaissance term, the, the, the confraternity of dealers. There is a community of dealers and, um, and, and, and runners and, and advisors and all the rest of it who are working in this ecosystem. There's a certain amount of, of luck involved, but you also hope that you've built a sufficient stable of collectors that you can match, match A to B. I mean, it's interesting seeing what, um, what live art is doing with the trading floor, the idea of, of trying to match people in, in the same way. I, I'm not sure it quite works um, it, because you can't quite get the parameters right. The wonderful thing about, about the pandemic easing not ending, but easing, is that I can now walk down the street and run into people and have a cup of coffee. And he says, well, actually, I was just talking to someone the other day who's obsessed with St. Ursula. And I say, well, actually, we've had got St. Ursula that's been sitting around. Um, perhaps that would be something they're interested in. That, that you can't do in a, in a spreadsheet. It's infuriatingly unscientific, but at the same time, it's wonderful. Let's bring that back to then the the wonder that is TAFAF. So this is the biggest sort of convocation of old masters and other collectors in the world. It lasts for what two weeks, so that plenty of people. It's, it's normally two and a half weeks. We've been restricted to a week and a half this time, but but it, it, it's not the oh the fair opens and everyone's gone by the second day, so the public can stroll through, but the principals uh, have left. People are on their booths for weeks uh, or 10 days, and and everyone's got their chance to come through town and make a, a plan around all of that. And so this community is coming together. Tell me what you're interested in seeing. It's wonderful, and we're all very excited to be back because it does have that range. And I mean, it's wonderful for us because the, the opportunity to speak to, to some real experts, you know, the, the people with the... Uh, the, the book dealers, the, the Delft dealers, the antiquities guys, all this, the, the, it's, it's, everything's there. It's, it's whatever they say, 5,000 years of art. And, and historically, um, we have sold on every single day of the fair. When it was a 20-day fair, we sold good things on every single day. Absolutely. The, I mean, the, the opening is, is fun and you close a, a few deals at the opening. The real collectors come the next day or the day after when they can stop and, and as we've been talking about, can stop and have that conversation. It's, it's a lot of very knowledgeable people. The, the wonderful thing about Maastricht being where it is, is, is that you're within 200 kilometers, I suppose we should say, of, uh, of some of the richest parts of Europe, the Rhineland, Switzerland, all of Benelux, France, Northern Italy. And uh, it's, it's a community of people who are exceptionally knowledgeable and enthusiastic. And they will pearl up the autobahn in their Mercedes-Benz, all set to buy themselves a, a, a 17th century still life or an antiquity, or a, uh, an early printed book. And it's, it's that community feeling I think we're all really looking forward to. Faces we haven't seen for three or four years. I mean, the, the response already has, has been strong. We've got, um, we've got some lovely things on the dealer side. Most dealers tend to stay in the, the hotel at the convention center. So you're 24 hours with a day with your colleagues and to, 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 to watch a fellow dealer at the omelette station uh, or, or to be able to, to have a quick drink at the end of the day, it, that's when the, the really interesting connections happen and, and, and deals can be made. It's going to be fun. Are there any sorts of themes that develop, you know, or is there stuff that you know other people are bringing or are you sort of there to, to see what they have and get your own sense of whatever the patterns in the market are? 
Well, I mean, as, as I say, patents in the market is a strange one. For our old master site, it's always a good, a good place for, for, for Dutch and Flemish pictures. We always want to have, I wish we always could have, Van Gogh. The last time out, March 2020, we had an astonishing, enormous Van Gogh cottage, which we had uh, three museums very interested in. In the end, we sold it to a private collector. Actually, that's something perhaps as an aside, but it's always very important to talk about with, with the old master's market that museum buying is, is a very strong part of, uh, of how things go. Museums are some of our most loyal and regular collectors because they can see the value. You can't start putting down $40 million on a Louise Bourgeois uh, if you've got a, a, a solid fund for, for acquisitions, but you can certainly build out your 19th and 18th century collections in a very effective way. But does that, being governed by committee, make it hard for them to make decisions? You may have them on the stand, but it gets sold, you know, weeks or months later, or do they come, you know, with sort of uh, marching orders and some freedom to actually buy? Um, I mean, you hope that, that your relationships with, with museum curators are sufficiently strong that you will have shown them things beforehand. And so they come to make sure that it's in their opinion, right? Because as I say, these people are great connoisseurs. They're, they're sure the attribution is solid, the condition's good, um, everything's right about it. But if you're a, an American museum with an endowment, you quite often have a certain amount of money to spend a year. And yes, it has to be approved by the, the acquisitions committee, but the curators are experts. And it's rare, I think, if they've done their homework and like something that they, they don't get it across the line. And Maastricht is the time to do it because they know they'll see everything in one place. Well, it makes sense, right? Why, why give up the opportunity? Why be bogged down in the bureaucracy, especially if you, you perceive this to be, you know, given what's going on with financial markets and all, an opportunity for institutions when private collectors might be more reticent? Well, I mean, I, I, I say that you can do a deal with a museum at Maastricht and you almost always can. They don't pay straight away. <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> well, some people do, but uh, not, not enough. Well, here's hoping that um, everyone pays on time and they buy lots of things when you're in Maastricht. When this comes out, it'll be this week. I hope it all goes well for you, Will. Thank you very much. I, I mean, we, we all the, the, the noises are good. Thinking of the old masters, there's, there's a group of uh, those wonderful Trump Lloyd pictures by Archimboldo that we've got on, on the stand, which I think are going to be cropping up on an Instagram feed near you quite soon. Oh, fantastic. We'll look out for them. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at the Artelligence Podcast, edited by Colin Ketchin, who also composed the original music. For more episodes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to download the LiveArt app or visit us at liveart.io. Please join us for the next episode of the Artelligence Podcast. We're looking forward to it. <laughs>